Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to the conversation for Get Right for Sunday for the Feast of Holy Trinity. Today we have a special guest. It is Dr. Leopold Sanchez. Welcome. It is very exciting to have you for this conversation. Thank you, uh, Pastor Kyle. It's nice to be here, and thanks for the invitation. I look forward to our discussion. I do too. Now, you are my Holy Trinitarian professor, and I brought you in because we get to talk about the Holy Trinity. And you are a professor at St. Louis, so thank you for making the trip all the way across the river. <laughs> it is really good to have you. Yes. So, so with that, our readings podcast was dropped yesterday, and we actually get to see the Trinity appear in all the readings, which is really nice, because now we get to actually have a unified theme, even though you get emphases that are created through each individual reading. One of the things that I would like to jump in at the beginning is Nicodemus. So, you have Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus, and he comes to him by night. And he simply says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, Hmm. for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Hmm. And I love that Jesus answers him. Jesus has an adversarial role, a relationship with the Pharisees, but Nicodemus comes questioning. And I I would even go far as far as saying humbled and seeing Jesus as there's something different. Hmm. And I really like this because, again, it's not just miracles. It's not just a wow factor. I see you doing these neat things. He connects them to God. Mm. And I, I'm i curious, first of all, and, and this is just lack of research on my part, the Pharisees' understanding of God and then connecting Jesus to God. Yes. Well, you know, it's an interesting way to begin a discussion on the Trinity, right? Talking about Nicodemus. But one of the things that uh, is interesting here is that he, in some ways, is asking a very fundamental question. Uh, you know, he's, he's really asking about the identity of Jesus. And I think when we think of the Trinity, the first place we typically go is not Jesus, it's God. And uh, I think uh, that might be... So so what do you mean by that? Uh, differentiating well, Jesus and God here. Yeah, because usually when people think of the Trinity, they're thinking, uh, well, it's one God and three persons, three persons and one God. Mm. You know? So it becomes right away kind of a scary topic to talk about. Right. How can one be three and three be one, you see? And a, a lot of people, I think, in our churches, when they think about the Trinity, they start thinking in terms of mathematics. How do you make this math work uh, according to some scriptural logic, hopefully? Well, that's one of the reasons I became a theologian, not to deal with math. Yeah, not to deal with that stuff. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so do we need to? Do we need to figure it out? Well, uh, what Nicodemus suggests here is that the question about who God is really begins with how you want to talk about Jesus, you know, and uh, how do you want to talk about Jesus's relationship to God? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's actually raising the question of the relationship between Jesus and God. So you're Jesus, you come from God in some sense, and God is with you in some sense. You know, so in some ways, that is the fundamental Trinitarian question, is who Jesus is and how does Jesus relate to God, you know? Now, I really like that because— this is one of the issues, I think, especially in America, we're, we're great with Jesus. Jesus is my friend. He's my personal savior. He's my personal genie. He's my comfort guy. He's my co-pilot. We have all these phrases of Jesus, right, right. but we lose what you just said, the connection to him in God, God the Father, uh, and the idea that he comes from God, he is God, and that's just a huge, huge statement that we quickly gloss over. And I don't know if it's because we don't want to deal with it. Is it too deep, too big? Mm. Oh, it's a mystery. I'll never understand it. Yeah. Moving right. on with my faith. Right, right. Yeah, there, I think there is some of that. Uh, maybe this is the fault at some, you know, at some point of theologians who start sort of speculating about the inner being of God and, you know, the how you relate uh, the three persons to the one, you know, in God's own essence, mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff. And so at some point, I think you see a little bit of a divorce between who mm. God is and who God is for us and for our salvation, you know? And so... Now, now I think there's yeah. some, some complicated theological language for this. Something <laughs> like, uh, like the economic trinity and the imminent <laughs> trinity. I think I'm remembering from a class yeah, I had at the correct. seminary. You've been a good student. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does this mean I pass? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So there's, uh, I think some have argued, right, that too much emphasis has been placed at, you know, at sometimes in history and in theological reflection on the on the immanent Trinity, which means how the three persons relate to one another in God's own being. Right. You know, leaving aside at times the question of the economic Trinity, right, which comes from economy, how things are distributed. You mm -hmm. might say how God distributes himself in, in history, uh, in salvation uh, history. And, uh, and so, you know, the question is how do we connect God language to salvation language. Right. You know, and I think uh, a text like this right away makes you sort of land the plane because, you know, Nicodemus is not interested simply in the question of God mm -hmm. in general. I mean, a Pharisee would have agreed that there is one God. I mean, they yeah. would have agreed with the Shema, going back to your question. They would have agreed with the worship of God. You know, you get up so many times a day. And, you know, you remember the Shema, you know, and this is the, the the sphere in which the Pharisee moves. But what Nicodemus, I think, is doing here, he's bringing the question of God down to earth, mm -hmm. yeah. literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Jesus wants to go there, too, because, you know, he does take this into this whole born-again language. Mm. Um, 
But I, I, you mentioned that yeah. this relational idea, and kind of what I'm thinking is, you're saying it's not just how does the Trinity relate to each other, the imminent Trinity, but how does the Trinity relate to us, the economic yeah. Trinity? Yeah, and that's absolutely. that's the question that's also going on here. Yeah, Nicodemus yeah. wants to know who who's Jesus to God, but also who are we to God? Who are we to Jesus? Yeah, no, absolutely, and what that means for uh, what it means for your life right now. You know, so this idea that, uh, you know, knowing who Jesus is involves a divine work, which is that you have to be born again or born from above. And then you can see the kingdom of God, right? So God's reign and rule among us. And if you want to tap into that, you know, that's going to be a work from above, but it's going to... Uh, change your life. It's going to make you see things quite differently. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I really appreciate it because, again, going back to Nicodemus is looking for the identity of Jesus within God and God's work in and through Jesus. Mm-hmm. But as you said, for me, for us, bringing Jesus to earth and, yeah. and not in a um, a way to bring God down, but a, a connection, a relationship. Right. right. And, and we get this in and through baptism, which is, of course, where Jesus goes. And I appreciate it because it shows the importance and necessity of baptism. And as you said, it opens us up. We receive, we participate, and we see the kingdom of God, and this fundamentally changes us. Mm -hmm. I have a quote from uh, Cyril. This is, he's putting words in Jesus' mouth, and only a church father can do that. Which Cyril? Oh, Cyril, I was going to say. Alexander. Okay, because you know there's that Jerusalem guy from the fourth century, too, but this is Cyril of Alexandria. Okay, this is not your next door neighbor, Cyril. Right, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The will of my father is that a person be made a participant in the Holy Spirit Ah. and and that the citizen of earth be reborn into a strange and uncustom life and be called a citizen of heaven. Mm. And I really liked that. And in fact, I wrote it down to make sure that I brought it out. Because again, it fundamentally changes us that now it's this uncustomed life. Yes. Because now we're participants in the Holy Spirit. Right, right. And the work of Christ in or through God the Father. Yes. And... Again, now you have a Trinitarian understanding of what faith does for my salvation, but then the sanctified aspect of that, which fundamentally changes, and what I think Jesus is offering to Nicodemus. And of course, Nicodemus doesn't get it, and, and not to throw him under the bus. This is completely a form. <laughs> Join the <concept>. club. Yeah. <laughs> but how can this be? How can I be reborn again? How can I have this? How can I see this? And he misses yeah. the, the well, what you said. The work, the divine work of not only the creation of faith, but bringing somebody like me to participate in God. And that boggles my mind. Right. Because I immediately go to the Old Testament text, and not to force it, but what does Isaiah say when he's before the throne of God? Not, yes, I made it, not um, anything exciting, but woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. He immediately sees, there is my God, my maker, there is the ultimate power, and I am unworthy. But Jesus calmly, and I always, and I don't want to diminish Jesus, you know, the, the happy, smiling Jesus picture that we always have, but Jesus always has a really calm voice because he's always bringing and leading, yeah. Yeah. or at least in my head. And he's doing the same thing to Nicodemus. <laughs> it's come and look, come and believe, come and have. I know you don't understand, but I got this for you. I'll bring you in. Yeah. And, and that, that, again, boggles my mind because I'm the unclean lips guy. I'm not worthy to have Jesus not only offer, but then to actually bring me out of this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's huge. And again, yeah. I think we miss baptism because, well, it's the thing we're supposed to do to our babies. And we forget it. And, we'll, you know, sometimes if you have good sponsors, we'll remember it. And then we'll remember it for confirmation because, well, they're connected. And then we'll just move on and participate with life. Well, here's the thing with, with baptism and with faith in general that this text is bringing out. Sometimes I think we have the tendency to think of faith as a thing that we think. Yeah. Like, it, like I remember growing up, the big thing, you know, in my circles was worldview. And so, like, becoming a, a Christian was all about having a certain worldview, thinking something specific about yeah. yourself, about the world. And that's not really the picture Jesus is painting here. It's not really a, oh, just think the right thing or know the right thing or even believe in how we sometimes use faith. This is being brought into a reality. This is being brought into God here, which is, I think, what's so crazy about the baptism that Jesus points to, but also this participation in God that we were talking about with the Trinity and that our faith is so much bigger than just something we think or something we say on Sunday, we are brought into participation with God. Mm. And that's yeah. that's huge. Now, on your Isaiah uh, 6 point, you know, this unclean lips, I'm going to side tangent here to one of my favorite Psalms, uh, Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps you've heard in, in versicles or, or some of our services before, Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And I didn't realize until relatively recently that comes from Psalm 51, this famous psalm of of repentance, of confession, and receiving forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Uh Forgiveness leads to clean lips. Jesus' redemption of us Hmm. leads to us having those... uh, clean, purified lips that now proclaim Christ. He makes us worthy mm. through his, through his actions, through his forgiveness, through his salvation. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like that those things are, those things are tied together. They're not separate events, but they're connected. Yeah. And you know, I never uh, drew this connection, but in some ways, Isaiah's experience is kind of like Nicodemus's mm-hmm. experience because Isaiah encounters, right? The holy, 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 and uh, and he uh, sees himself as unworthy, you know, in light of the presence of the Holy One in in his life. Right? He comes face to face. In some ways, Nicodemus comes to face with the you know incarnate logos. Yeah. You know, he comes to face uh, with Yahweh. Though in the flesh, right? right? But we're still talking about, you know, God tabernacled, right? The Logos who is one with God and 
takes on the flesh and is among us. So he is actually seeing the face of God, if you mm. want to put it this way. And even though you don't have this language of, you know, whole, look at how unclean and unworthy I am, you do have language here about seeing things, you see. And uh, if you look at verse 6 in chapter 3, it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, you can see with the eyes of the flesh, in which case, right? Hence why Jesus has become flesh, yeah. so that our eyes of flesh But seeing see. with the eyes of the flesh, I think in this context, also means sort of the idea that the flesh becomes sort of an obstacle to seeing things. Mm. Christ coming in the flesh becomes an obstacle for you to see God in there. Mm -hmm. Because we associate God with the loftiness of being sort of outside of, you know, uh, outside of uh, earthy flesh. Mm -hmm. He's too things. far, too big for comprehension. Yeah, he's too abstract, too, you know, spiritual. Mm -hmm. So to see Jesus with the eyes of the flesh would be to be uh, sort of uh, insulted by that, you see. And so Jesus becomes an obstacle. The flesh becomes an obstacle to see God. So the way you have to see it is through the eyes of the Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit, mm -hmm. right? This is how you can see, right, uh, Almighty God, one with the you know the Father in the face of Jesus who comes in the flesh. It takes a work of the Spirit for you to be able to participate in a new reality. This mm -hmm. is not about knowing stuff rationally. Right. It's about being brought by the Spirit into a completely different way of seeing. You see? And so this is kind of what's happening here, you know. So in some ways, this is what happens with Isaiah. God's revelation reveals to him something about himself and who he is before God, and then what God does for him, you know, in cleansing him, uh, you know, by putting in his mouth the coal, yeah. right, that which cleanses. And in some ways, you know, Nicodemus could have been Isaiah, and Isaiah could have been Nicodemus. It's yeah. just that there are different ways of getting at the same thing, you know? I like the way that you put that makes it so clear that this is not something that we can do. Yeah. You know, we we can't open our own eyes to see what we cannot see. Mm -hmm. That's we we're not capable of doing it. Yes. It's the spirit which brings us into this. We're born blind, yeah. dumb, and frankly dead. And so only, we must mm -hmm. be born again. Yeah. With eyes that can see, being brought into this by the spirit. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And Kind of getting back to the, the Holy Spirit discussion. Now, this is early John, so chapter 3. Um, even though in the church here we've just celebrated Pentecost, and we have the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, given to the disciples, they are truly dispersed to the ends of the earth. Mm. And we have this promise, again, rebirth, baptism, the giving of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, I think is just a huge, huge thing that we brush aside. Mm. Uh, we're, we're quick to say, God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, let's talk about Jesus. And again, it's because we can't see him with the fleshly eyes. Sure. And I really, really liked your idea that the flesh actually becomes the obstacle to God. <laughs> and only through the Holy Spirit can we see God in Christ 
as he truly reveals himself right. through the Holy Spirit. And in this continued cycle of the Trinity always at work, mm-hmm. never one above the other, but in one concert. Yeah. The idea that we live in a post-Pentecost church, we live in the New Testament, where the Holy Spirit truly is being given, let it be through word, let it be through sacrament, let it be through the church, as God uses his means. In this text and in the ministry of Jesus, the constant giving of the Holy Spirit, Uh I I think is just interesting, because again, we look at Pentecost there, and I I know we see the Holy Spirit because he says, I'm Uh here. Uh But the application to our daily life, even in this text, the Holy Spirit is absolutely at work, working through Jesus preaching and Jesus giving the Holy Spirit because they're in together, God. And that continuation of what we have today Hmm. is just phenomenal. And I love the the participation language. Um, Vicar Liefber suffers often with me babbling about theosis and deification <laughs> because it's this participation aspect yes. that we still want to do it. Right. We want to be in control, but participation means something's already established mm-hmm. and something's already uh, there for us to have. Right. And it's all now gift language. And I really like the connection between Isaiah and Nicodemus. They're being gifted this opportunity for participation. But uh, babbling a little bit, again, bringing this back to today, yeah. the giving of the Holy Spirit, and that continued. Any comments well, or any, I mean, anywhere yeah. you want to go with that? Well, that's huge with uh, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, John's gospel can actually in many ways be framed, you know, in a spirit-oriented way. I think what happens is that Sometimes we're afraid that because there are people out there misusing mm-hmm. the Spirit, right. you know, we need to therefore focus on Jesus and not talk about the Spirit. But it only takes you so far because at some point people are going to be asking questions, you know, right. what is the Spirit doing in my life? Well, and we do this with a bunch of other theology that gets abused, like Jesus' return. Like right. Jesus' return. Jesus is going to come back. But there are some denominations that kind of take that and go in kind of weird, crazy directions with that. Sure. And so we decide, hey, guess we won't touch that at all. Right. But that's a huge mistake because <laughs> Jesus is constantly saying, hey, I'm going to come back. I know. I when know. Paul and the apostles talk about their hope, it's in Christ's return. Yeah, right. And but because so, you got people talking about the rapture or something oh, yeah. like that, right, you right. don't want to talk about it. Right? Yeah. Well, and the spirit is the same thing. You know, right. when, when, when you see people, uh, you know, talking about, the spirit in a way that it takes the attention mm-hmm. out of Christ and this kind of stuff. But at some point, you still have to look at the biblical text, and you have to then mine all that which it says about the spirit. I think the critical thing then is to see the spirit as closely linked to Christ, mm-hmm. and Christ closely linked to the spirit, which right away takes you in a Trinitarian direction. Right. We're not talking about, you know, individual... Uh, you know, uh, what do they call them? Free agents, right? I mean, we're talking about the Trinitarian life and the the yeah. community of the three working together in mm. you know in their own ways, but together. So the spirit just yeah. doesn't doesn't just run around doing random things, right? But is right. closely and intimately connected to the work of Christ. Yeah, and and John's gospel is very helpful uh, with this point. I mean, you already see it here. No one can really be born to see 
Jesus for who he is apart from the Spirit. So the Spirit and Jesus, is uh, they're very much involved. And this same kind of language, you know, I was looking at this flesh-spirit language. You also see it later in the Bread of Life discourse in John, you know, where Jesus is saying, I am the Bread of Life, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, in the time of Moses, you had the manna and that kind of stuff. But now I am the bread of life, right? Uh, and you have the I am statement, yeah, the yeah. Yahweh stuff. And, you know, you know, he's the one who comes from heaven, right? Uh, the logos comes from above, this kind of thing. And, uh, and then, you know, some people sort of, well, I don't think that we can believe that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, and then he says, you know, my words are spirit and life. The flesh is of no avail. There you got that flesh language again. The flesh is of no avail. Uh, but the spirit gives life. My words are spirit and life. So here the spirit is connected to the words of Christ, which give life. And that means a participation. Yeah. Go back. Mm -hmm. Participation to the, you know, to Christ in that we now receive his life. And this also means that we get to share in his resurrection. So, again, there is participation language. It is all by the Spirit's work. Mm -hmm. So, it is, you know, by the grace of adoption, we might say. Uh, but it brings that close connection between the Spirit and Christ. And there are so many other places. I mean, later here, uh, after here in chapter 3, uh, after the text here, there's uh, another one where it says, the one who is from above, Jesus, speaks the words of God. Because God has given him the spirit without measure. Yeah. So the words of Jesus, you know, are spoken in the spirit by the spirit who is with Jesus. And they bring the spirit through Jesus to bring into a participation in the life of Jesus, which includes the resurrection, which we await for at the parousia. <laughs> Bringing it all together full yeah. circle. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. You can't do it without the spirit. Right. Yeah. Can't so Jesus, Jesus gives the Spirit because the Spirit and and Jesus are, are working closely together, and then in us the Spirit brings us to Jesus. Yes, I mean Jesus gives us the Spirit; the Spirit brings us to Jesus. You know, and then also another aspect that I like to bring up is that the Spirit also shapes the life of Jesus in us, mm. which then gets into another form of participation in the life in the Spirit, the Christ-like life, mm -hmm. right? And that gets you into sanctification. Right, and the indwelling of the spirit in the believer. So all of this stuff, you know, is predicated, you know, or is uh, based on the idea that Jesus gives the spirit. I mean, this is what's happening here with Nicodemus. Jesus is, in a sense, you know, anticipating here that you can only know who God is and who I am in relationship to God if I send the spirit upon you, so that. Through that spirit living word, you might know who God is, you know, and not know in a rational sense. Right. Back to your point. Well, and when you say, when you say God, I, I just want to get real specific about our, our language here. When this yeah. text says God, what is it referring to? Yeah. So in this case, it would be God the Father, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. In fact, in the New Testament, the overwhelming majority of cases, the term God or Hotheos in the Greek issue is God the Father. Right. I was talking yeah. to I was talking to someone about this the other day. They were confused how Jesus 
had a God, how Jesus <laughs> was like Jesus and my God. Wait, how does Jesus have a yeah, right. God the Father? Yes. Yeah. Um, so when we have a statement like, for God so loved the world, God the Father, that he gave his only son, he sent Jesus, that whoever believes in him and receives the spirit should not perish, but have eternal life. Right, right. And then we see it in that text I mentioned earlier, the one who's from above, the son, speaks the words of God, the father, who sent him, right? For God, the father, has given him, the son, the spirit without measure. Right? So you have that Trinitarian statement too. And John is full of those. And all three of them are working together for our benefit, to bring yeah. us into this. Right. This is this is not just holy, holy up there, which right. is the Isaiah text, but holy, holy, holy comes down here, right? Uh, the one who's lofty comes down and dwells with the lowly, you see. And this is what happens with Isaiah, right? And this is what's happening with Nicodemus. From above mm-hmm. will, you know, will come the Spirit, and he will bring you into a new way of life, so we're not just talking up there, we're right. talking down here. Well, and, and what I love about this is the, the depth of it. This is truly all mystery. First of all, why does God love me enough to do this? Because he does. Yeah. And we see the whole Trinity working for your salvation, my salvation, creation, which I think is a, another aspect that this is huge. Mm-hmm. But I love, again— This isn't the masterful God who then says, bow down and worship me, Mm. but brings you into a life, and it's his life. And and again, going back to the whole idea of not just participation, but this is resurrection. This is forever. This is eternity. This is beyond our comprehension Mm. right now. And I love that aspect because we have so much to look forward to, and we do get to ask the same question that Nicodemus, how can this be? But we do this in faith, and we do this humbled because we only recognize it through the Spirit in Christ because of the Father. And again, the Trinitarian work, not to put one above the other, but seeing God the Father as the source, the gift, and the deliverer all through the Trinitarian work. And, well, it's just frankly very exciting. It's fun and delightfully overwhelming. God loves me and does this and then has a process act and the depths in which he gives and does this. How quickly, again, God's up there, he loves me, Jesus came, and now we live a sanctified baptismal life. Well, no, we live a Christ-centered, cruciformed life Mm -hmm. in the sanctified work that the Holy Spirit continues. And I really like that continuation because it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a devotional thing. It's that constant coming to because we're moved, because we're transformed, because we don't see just with eyes of flesh. Mm. Even our eye or our flesh becomes an obstacle. Mm -hmm. And no, this just opens up so much. And it really is just Mm -hmm. fun and exciting because now our imagination really becomes what limits us to the work of God and faith and life here and definitely life in the resurrection. So, yeah, amazing stuff. Well, I like how you connect mystery with depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think if you go back to what Ben was saying, if you, if you think of faith only as knowledge, 
the mystery has to do merely lack of knowledge or understanding right. or whatever, you know. And that scares people away from the Trinity. Mm -hmm. So like, well, why should I even talk about the Trinity or study about the Trinity? It's just an incomprehensible mystery. And, you know, there are fathers in the early church that really push that dimension of unknowability, uh, although, of course, they're not thinking in terms of rational terms, so just in terms of the creator-creature distinction, mm -hmm. right. right? There is kind of a gap in there. Uh, but I think if you push that too far, you know, then people kind of get scared and they think of the Trinity as kind of esoteric and abstract, and it right. has nothing to do with real life. Mm -hmm. It's up there somewhere, and uh, we acknowledge it mm -hmm. and leave it at that, you know. But if you think of the mystery of the Trinity in terms of depth, uh, meaning there is so much water to draw from the dwell. Mm. Uh, and the reason we can do that is because the Trinity has come to dwell with us. God yeah. the Father has sent his son, right, to deliver us from sin, death, and the devil. And his son has sent his spirit to dwell in us. I mean, that's like hands-on personal stuff. Yeah, That's in your face. Trinity stuff. This is no pie in the sky stuff, you know. This is a very earthy way of thinking about God's work among us. And I think, you know, if if we can uh, somehow connect people with those narratives, kind of like Nicodemus's narrative, and say, you know, there's Trinitarian stuff going on here, even though he doesn't say the Trinity, according right. to, you know, John 3. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of part of the of the thread of the narrative yeah you know uh, and the same with Isaiah and you know and I say this because I think sometimes we try to make the Trinity understandable to people through the use of analogies and things like that which I'm not against but you know it could get kind of weird you know so you have an egg but it has three parts, you know. It's got or the, the apple shell. one is is the well known. Yeah, I never one octopus, three hearts. The, the <laughs> one octopus, three. <laughs> and I never, you know, I never completely like those analogies because it's always a problem with mm -hmm. them. Because right? an analogy, right? yes, you can't make an analogy work too hard, right? So it's like, okay, so the trinity three parts of an egg but who's gonna eat the shell <laughs> that does, who, who's gonna be that left left out person yeah. who becomes a shell you know and the same with the apple right who's gonna eat the you know the poisonous seeds in the, the middle poisonous <laughs> seeds in there. who's that gonna be is that gonna be the father or yeah. something you know I mean, <laughs> or the water that's the other one you hear oh about yeah the, you know so you have three Phases, uh, phases. Or, well, that's that's a heresy. You know. Well, see, this yeah. is the thing. You start getting close to heresy. Yeah. Right? I think all of these are actually <laughs> modalist Trinitarian heresies. Yeah. all of them are. Yeah. But the water one is particularly <laughs> egregious. And it's funny because at some level they might work, mm -hmm. but nothing can replace this biblical narrative. Right. I mean, at some point you got to bring, you got to show how the Trinity is embedded in the God's own story of Himself. Yeah. Know? And uh, and so I think this is why it can replace this wonderful text that we have here for Holy Trinity Sunday uh, with uh, analogies that you know might might not do the trick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Dr. Sanchez, this has been an amazing conversation. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your input, and God's peace and blessings be upon us. Thank you for having me. I enjoy that uh, greatly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. 
I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.